If you can pick yourself up, I want to see that. That's a good YouTube video. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 225 is recorded live January 1st, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the west side of Michigan where we are in a new year. And I imagine wherever you're listening, you probably are in the new year as well. At least in the Western cultures. I, when, when, when's China's calendar start? That's got to be coming up here pretty soon. Well, Australia was the other day, so they had their New Year's before we did. So yeah, I'd imagine. Those, those people from the future. I keep trying to get David to go ahead and send me the numbers <laughs> lottery, but he never does that. Since he's there already, he should have the numbers, and it, it would be good. Yeah. I'd be Get at the tables, you know. That, 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 that'd be the way to do it. And that voice you hear right there is Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, mate, we made another year. Sometimes yes. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> about, I, about me, not about you. Of course, you'll make another year. Well, I hope to make next year a good year. Yeah. Actually, this year a good year. Yeah. And then uh, Jim Schultz is not with us tonight, and meaning he's still alive. Don't worry. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's still alive. He just has other things going on, and he's going to be taking some time off for the next few weeks. Those retired guys, I tell you. And then he will be back, and I'm sure he's going to have all sorts of new dive stories to tell us. If not, we'll give him some crap. At least he'll be warm. Yeah. And I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room tonight. We record live on Thursdays at 9 p.m. We're currently using TalkShoe. We're talking about news, using a new system, so keep an eye on our Facebook feed, which is facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed, or on our website, which I am in the process of updating. We're also going to have a new newsletter list. This first list, if you sign up for it, you're going to be able to get the the show notes, the same ones that Mac and Jim use each week. I'm, yeah, I might even make them a little prettier. And then you can follow along, so make sure you watch. We should have that out in about a week if I don't get too distracted. And that will be on the website. You'll click on the subscribe. And we also have the pin. If you uh, just kind of, we'll do some housekeeping from last year if you're a listener who has been listening that long. If you go to the website, you, we have a push pin. I think it's currently on one of the about pages. So go on the website, look for it, and uh, you can put a pin on, the, on our map. We call it our Scuba Obsessed fan map, and you can see where all the other Scuba Obsessed listeners are around the world. And we've got most of the states. We don't have quite all of them. And I know there are listeners in every state, but you know, make sure your state's represented. And also countries. We have, uh, you know, usually we're in the English speaking. We have a few non-English speaking countries where uh, somebody's listening out. I'll call them expatriates or something. Uh, also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash scuba obsessed. And I'm also Darren Jilson on there. You can follow me as well. Uh, the Mud Club's website is mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. And then we are also on WRVO Radio for another year, and that is wrvoradio.com. Let's see, do, do you have anything that you want to plug right off the beginning, Mac? No, other than uh, Happy New Year to everybody, and uh, hope everybody else has made good 
New Year's resolutions. I really haven't made any formal ones. I'm really still thinking about it. Uh-huh. You know, there's always, I need to do this, that, and the other. Yeah. And no better, but you don't. You know, like everybody wants to lose a couple of pounds. Yeah. You want to eat better, you know, that kind of stuff. But I'm going to try a little harder this year. Yeah, I've I've got the the same resolutions. Uh, you know, the, the the getting healthy is one that I've I'm I'm working on. Trying to keep up with the kids. Uh, you know, we we signed up. We we were members of uh, one of the health clubs, which is right next door to where I work. You can't beat it. And my uh, my kids are into tennis, so they they wanted to get some tennis time in, and that's the only place in the winter you got indoor courts. So we re-signed up for that, and I've been working out there for the last week, and it's about crippled me. <laughs> I know what you mean. There, there is this little factor that you really don't realize as you get older. My body keeps reminding me occasionally, like, yeah, not 19 anymore or even 50. <laughs> oh. It's, uh, man, you, you exert yourself one day, and you know it for the next two or three. Yeah, this, uh, what, what's tougher this amount of time is you know, it used to be when you worked out, it seemed like about an hour later you would really feel it. Other than feeling tired, I don't feel it the first day. Sometimes not even the second day, but that third day, oh, my gosh. Well, I always got to remember what I did because when you wake up and your your chest hurts, you wonder, oh, my God, is it the big one? <laughs> then you say, wait a minute, what did I do yesterday? Really stupid. Uh, you oh, probably yeah, did a, a the but- generator that weighed 110 pounds, <laughs> and I bent over, and I didn't lift my legs, and then you say, okay, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, the, ch- the chat room's giving us some advice saying start out very slowly, which is probably pretty good. Yeah, I open my eyelids first. That usually is the <laughs> thing to lift. You do the eyelid lifts? Yeah, and I'm learning to roll my legs out instead <laughs> of lift the body first. I figure that if I roll the legs out, it sort of tilts the body up. So sometimes I have to do the, you, you, you use your, your hand to lift the knee by, you know, like your marionette and then flip it out. That's a. Uh... I'm not there that part. It's when I'm down, it's like. It's really handy now having arms to put on the on the sofa or the chair or something to when you get up to help the knees a little bit. Yeah. Well, it, the, you know, the the reason for me is I, you know, just to be healthy, I need to drop about 50 pounds, which hopefully translates to a little bit of le- less lead around my my weight belt. But then uh, also just to so I don't huff and puff. I'm getting a point now where, you know, walking, you know, I'll go between buildings at work and you know, the one building's on a hill and the other building's on a hill, and we walk down to the road, walk across, and walk back up. And you, know, you walk in the front, and the receptionist is saying hi, and you're like, oh, yeah, hello. Yeah, when you, breath. You get to that, when you get to that point, then you really do need to do something. Yeah, I, 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 I certainly do. Mentally, I think I'm, I'm, I'm working out. You know, I can watch all those shows where people are running. I'm like, yeah, I can do that, but I really can't, so I just need to, to get in a little bit better shape. So that's that's probably the first one for me. And this. Well, it, where they say visualization makes everything different. Yeah. You can visualize, and it, it's really been proven that it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. I, I visualize myself like that, but like you said, visualization sometimes without the exercise isn't helping me a lot. <laughs> no, it isn't. I can psych myself up, but uh, yeah, I, I need to do it. And I had another gym membership that was on the other side of town that my my wife uh, got for me. And the problem is that I it's just too much time. Yeah, you know, I couldn't. I'm not an after work workout person. I can do it in the morning, but by the time you get over there, it just it just made the day too early. So now I'm not going to have any excuses. It's right next to work. It's got showers, so I'll go in there, work out, and then I'll go do my day. And then I can even do it during lunch if I get to where I didn't make it earlier. So that that will be good. And I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna force myself to do a 5K 
So I'm just trying to figure out how many weeks it's going to take me to get into some shape to where I can uh, stagger across the line in a somewhat reasonable amount of time. Well, that's a nice part about the, the summer when we have good water is you do get out there and you get into the, you know, you dive in. Yeah. And if you can dive two, three times a week, it makes a big difference. Yeah, that, that, and that does count as a workout. Oh, yeah. 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 It is, it is, there is some exercise there. Diving is good exercise, but you've got to do it. Right now, it's I just don't need to be having a heart attack on the, on the way, hauling stuff. And then uh, the other the other part of a, like a, a New Year's resolution, just do some more diving. This year for me was kind of a, I don't say it was an off year, but I didn't get nearly as much diving in as I wanted to. It was pretty much an off year for you because you know, well, part of it was your weather again. Yeah. We didn't have spring until what, August? Yeah, I, I, it was it was definitely a late spring, so yeah. we missed that. Uh, we didn't. We everybody was sick, so we missed the ice diving season. We really didn't have much of a river dive. We had it in the fall, but not in the spring. And we we never really seemed to have that during the in the spring. It's yeah, usually in the fall. Yeah. Well, this this fall, man, my gosh, we've gotten a ton of diving in. Yeah, we were doing really, really good, really good. Yeah, I was. I was. There was a few weeks there where I think I had three in a row. Yes, you did. I had three in a row, so so diving is is going to be it. And I talked to my dive buddy Jim Kleeman, who, if you know new listeners of the show, you might want to go and check out the first two years. That's when Jim was on mostly, and he's made a resolution this this year. I chatted with him earlier today, and that he's going to do more diving. So we're going to hold each other to it. So at least once a month, I'm going to try and say okay, I, I'm call him up and say, okay, what's the date? When are we going to do that dive? <sighs> And then I've got all sorts of stuff around the house, different projects that I want to get done, making a whole project plan. Because I'm looking and you start, I don't say I'm, I'm feeling old, but time moves differently now <laughs> than it seemed to. You know, I can remember when I was 25, it's like five to 10 years seemed like an eternity. You know, I, I the house I live in now, I built myself and my certific- certificate of occupancy was 1994. So I've been in this house 20 years. And I've got some rooms that haven't been painted since the day we moved in. So my goal in the house is to paint or and redecorate as, as appropriate every single room in the house and to finish the basement. And then I've got a bunch of outdoor work as well. So I'm going to be pretty well packed, but I want, I want to get it done. Uh, what, do you have any diving resolutions, Mac? Or Yeah, to get wet more. Get wet more? Oh, man, yes. Now, how about mowing the lawn? That's something that we haven't been... You know, we've talked about it, but do have we really had any get out and spend a lot of time hunting? Uh, Ken and I got out a couple of times using the Zodiac, looking for the bomber. Um, then we spent a good number of time, uh, you know, good days trying to find that secondary intake structure that we have not relocated in ten years. The flat one mm-hmm. off of the you know the waterwork one. Yep, and we have not found that freaking barge that's. 70 foot of water off the cook plant again. And there's one on 120 foot. We haven't relocated. There's so many wrecks we have dove in the past. We can't find again. Part of it, the Loran coordinates are no longer valid. And there is no good program that you can go ahead and introduce and, and use the convert the Loran to GPS. Right. Just there's no way. Yeah. And, and for, for those who don't know what Loran is, because Loran was the early system before we had GPS. And they would put beacons at known spots in different locations. And then through triangulation, you would be able to figure out where you were at. Now, 
I personally didn't use Loran. My grandfather had a Loran on his boat, but you know, we never, you know, it was very vague. What's your experience, Mac? If say Larry had a Loran unit Larry on his boat does, and a reading. Does, does have Loran on his boat. Yeah, he still does. But so you had him and then let's then then pick somebody else. What were the odds of two people coming within a hundred yards using the same numbers? You were lucky. Depend on the strength of the signal that day and the area in which you got your signal fix. Yeah, and that and that's kind of part of the problem is that Loran seemed to be very local to the unit you were using. So if you wanted to get back to it, it was fine. If you gave the number to somebody else, I think like if you said, if you told the Coast Guard what your Loran reading was, that would get them in the ballpark, but they would have to visually sight you or pick you up on radar. Right, and if you're on fire, then it's easier. Yeah, the, the, the black billowing cloud of smoke will yeah, yeah. kind of give away your location. Uh, so, yeah, we have had a, we have a lot of that. In fact, uh, I've got – my dad gave me some charts, and, in fact, I'm going to bring them to the next Mud Club meeting. And anybody in the Mud Club who wants one of the charts, he's, he's asking a dollar per chart, and then he said all the proceeds could just go right back to the Mud Club. So I'll, I'll, uh, there, there are all sorts of them there. Most of them are Lake Michigan. You've probably seen them. It's like a yellow chart and it shows all the shipwrecks that were known at the time. And I say this was, I, I've, I've, I've got them. They're just out of reach of my chair. <laughs> you're, you're talking about the dot in the water and not one with locations. I think they have locations, but yeah, it's a dot in the water, but I think there's some locations on them. I think there was <clears> some on the maps. Well, here, here, hold on a second. I'm going to put my headset down. So. We'll, 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 of course, edit this out. <laughs> and to the listeners, I hear something in the background, but I don't know why. I know some of you people out there should be getting your kayaks waxed up and ready to roll. Uh, first kayak season, or it started today, actually. If you didn't do a second dive today, everybody went kayaking in wetsuits and with ice pad, you know, prods on your on your paddles. Uh, that's hardcore, I suppose. Okay, so here's what the chart is called. It was uh, the Lake Michigan, and and I've got one. I've got some for each lake. I don't know, if, you know, because I've got ones. Uh, it's copyright is August first, nineteen eighty eight. Midwest Explore, Explorers League out of Chicago, Illinois. They originally retailed for six bucks. So let me see. But it's got all the Loran <laughs> uh, readings, and it's got Loran numbers, it looks like, on many of them. Well, that'll be worth looking at anyway. Pardon me? That'll be worth looking at at any rate. Yeah. So, like, if I go down to our neck of the woods here, so we are, you know, St. Joe, Benton Harbor has 62, 63, and 65. It's got to be the Havana. Well, 62 is the Cecilia, and then 63 Oh, that's 63, 68. Now I need bifocals. Gosh. Yes, 68 is the Ralph Simmons. Is that, is that possible? Christmas tree ship? I was going to say, that's in Chicago, man. That's not in our neck of the woods. Why is that showing that? Huh. <laughs> Could that be a mistake? If it's on our side of the lake, it's a mistake. It should be off of Chicago. Oh, no, it is 63. Yeah. Yeah, this old lithography. We'll blame that, not my eyesight. No, 63 is the otter. Oh, wait, no, I see what it is. Of course, it helps if I read the map right. I'm on the wrong side of the chart, is what the problem was. Okay. 
Well, this is this exciting radio here. Me reading we a chart. Video radio here. You know, we could show this to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. That would be. This is the. See my. That would my... be scary. I'd have to. Take, I'd have to put something on besides my pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so here we go. So we have, so right here at St. Joe Benton Harbor, they show just north of the pier, 65. 65 is the Ithaca, broke up on North Pier in 1879, wrecked on Outer Bar. And then 63 is the My- Myostis, struck mm-hmm. structure Outer Bar, 400 yards southwest of St. Joseph, Coast Guard Station, abandoned, 1887. Cargo was iron ore. Yeah. Sank so, like a rock. Yeah, so these are the ones that are probably buried in the sands. Ain't no probably to it. Yeah. And then the other one was a regulator. Well, like I said, I know there's 42 ships within five miles of the piers. Yeah. That are old, old, and it's all bones. Yeah, the ones that are interesting are the ones where they list mid-lake. Well, that's where they go when they don't know where else to put them, like the Chikora. Yeah, like they got the uh, Kalamazoo. They said that one's in mid-lake. And 54 is the Hippocampus, yep. which sank one hour out of St. Joe. But yeah, it, so it's a, it's a chart. It's got Loran. So if you had Loran readings, in theory, but yeah, you know, like some of these, if they're not a modern shipwreck, they don't have the readings on them. So I've got those charts. We'll, I'll, I'll bring those to the next meeting, see if anybody wants. I, I thought they would be good for a uh, wall poster. Yeah, you know, get get a uh, a wall frame if you had a dive shop and you just wanted them as decorations around. Yeah, somebody says, how about Max Rec? Well, actually, I don't think Max Rec is on there. Actually, if you go down to the Coloma Museum, uh, you will find they have revamped the rec section. Uh, and they are basically calling it the farmer pending yeah. real proof. And that's what we believe it is also, but it would be nice to be able to specifically identify it as the farmer yeah yeah but the ones that i think are interesting is all these in new buffalo area well last night as we were sitting around waiting for the clock to tick towards the bewitching hour uh we went through our gps maps meaning looked at the weather map and expanded it and uh, basically showed them where all the old wrecks were that were covered by sand in the uh very early 70s and 60s Mm-hmm. Off by the cook plant, there's three wrecks there. On the way up the beach, where they had that big section of hull got uncovered two years ago. Yeah. Uh, up by Grand Mirror, there's two places there. One where the lumber camp was and the uh, carts and the railroad tracks that went out into the lake. I was showing Kevin this because Kevin is really getting to be a good dog at hunting that stuff down. Uh-huh. And uh, him and Sarah are doing a lot of good work on shallow water wrecks both videos, pictorials. He's got enough now to do a book, and I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't do that in the near future. Yeah. He's, he's confirming all the uh, locations and being able to identify this is exactly where it is. Here are the current coordinates. These are pictures of what it looks like. And lately, the visibility is out there. If you if it's only 10 feet, that's, that's not good anymore. You're getting 20 and 30 common, even in the shallows. And uh, if you went to his... Uh, facebook site you'll see a lot of the pictures they have been taken and uh 
for using a GoPro, he's doing pretty darn good. Yeah, I I need to get with him and see if he wants to do a couple websites because we could set some stuff up for him. Has he got any websites he's done yet? I I'm not sure. Uh, I know he gets really intense on that. And and as as a plug, you said something about a plug. Everybody out there, if you like GoPros, go to the GoPro uh, on the computer. You know, go to the company that makes them. They've got a free prize thing going on right now. You register every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Every day. They're giving away one of everything they make. And they've been doing this over a month now. Now, uh, not not that this is a plug for GoPro. No, but, but I'm, did you, I'm plugging it because that's cool, man. Did you see what their newest product is that they've just announced? No, but I do I do know that the, uh, the new 4K mm-hmm. black is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, the, uh, the low light is great. Resolution is much better than it used to be, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have that. But the price keeps going up now because those are running five hundred bucks. But you can get into the lower end now for two hundred. Yeah. And if you're a kayaker or something like this, that's well worth the money. Two hundred bucks with a good ship. You come to the waterproof housing. Don't use the ones with the holes in the back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mount it on your helmet. Put it on the vest that you wear. Put it on a hand stick on your kayak. It is really cool. It, it, and as soon as you, you have a camera, you, you, it's, it's amazing what you see out there and you wish you had one. This way you got one, landed it to yourself. I, I, I don't know what I did without mine. Yeah, the, it, Go, the, the GoPro, what, what they're, they're getting into, and they just announced it. I think I don't know if it was leaked or they announced it, but uh, is uh, drones. Because that's what everybody's doing now with the uh, with the drones as they're mounting GoPro. So GoPro's like, heck, we can do a drone. So I yeah, think well, we were supposed to do a recovery for a drone <laughs> already. Or did I tell you about that? Uh, I I I've, I overheard. I don't think you specifically told me about it, but I did hear you yeah. talking and kind of it put two and two a, together. It was a commercial drone, not a. I wish it were a military one. That would be so much fun. Oh <laughs> yeah, to be able to recover one of those big babies. But it was a commercial drone. The guy lost it uh, actually in Little Pawpaw Lake in Texas County. And uh, by the time he recontacted us, we were on the road to Chicago. It's like, well, he, he called me at 9, 10 and said, sure, come on out and dive. Well, if he had told us the day before, we would have been out there. Yeah. And now we got ice out there. So it's like, well, we'll see you in the spring maybe. Yeah. Now, now what he needs to do is have somebody with an ROV be able to, you know, you could drop something in the ice and get it to go to it. Well, you know how it is. I always hate it when it's got, well, I know exactly where it is. And he marked the big X on the water with his finger. Yeah. You've been there before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, nobody knows where it is. I, what I really think he needs, because, I mean, the, the motors are done, but I'm quite sure what he wants to get is his camera back. Yeah. You get the camera back. You got the film. Uh, and a lot of those now, everything's replaceable. They've, they're, they're out, especially if he had a nice one. You know, all the motors, you can pop them out and you know, it's, you know, half the price of it is the structure and the other half is the motors well, and the electronics. Is the nice because we found two GoPros this year. Well, actually, one of Kevin's that he lost a year or so ago, got it out, cleaned it up. Chip was good. The battery didn't decay. Mm-hmm. He recharged it and it's like, just like new. Yeah. So those GoPros, I can't say enough, but anyway, go to the site, register every day. And hopefully you'll be one of the ones who wins a little bit, one thing of everything they make. Yeah. That's got to be awesome. You know, I've, I've got some theories on how to redo, like, electric motors that have fallen in the water. So if somebody had one, I'd be, you know, if you could get it, get it. Like, actually, when you bring it up, just leave it in the water and then go and start doing a process. I was actually talking to my dad, and he that was one of the things he was talking about he, when he was in the Navy. Uh, they had a nuclear submarine that sank at the dock before it was commissioned. 
and they they got the whole thing to work. Uh, that was one of the things you remember Admiral Rick over. Oh yeah. That that was one of his claims to fame before he was in charge of nuclear power was in World War II when they sank the uh, when the Japanese sank the the naval vessels. He he came up with a process of drying out the electric motors without having to have them rewound. So I bet you could apply that to even smaller motors. That same technique. Well, it's got to be compounded by salt. Yeah, well, well he, he yeah he was dealing fresh. with salt. I can see it fresh. Yeah. Uh, well, you want to go ahead and start with Cuban news? And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's we'll, we'll do that, and then we'll 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 group back around to uh, to everything else. So the first one up, and if you're in a chat room, you're going to get the benefit of as long as I remember, you're going to get the show notes. The Fukushima radiation, in the U.S. West Coast, they're estimating that the peak of that radiation is going to be seen by the end of 2015, and. Uh, so some things in the article was interesting as they're explaining a little bit of how they're trying to come up with this. Because if you were, if you're out there measuring radiation now, you have to you have to break it down and try and guess how much is normal background radiation and how much happened because of the nuclear tests that that occurred in the 40s and 50s. So there's two radioactive elements that they're looking for. One is cesium 137, and the other is cesium 134. Cesium 134 has about a two-year half-life. So if you're seeing that. They that they use that as an indicator that modern or not modern but recent nuclear activity has taken place because of its decay rate, and then any increase in background, which they're calling the the one thirty seven, would be new. So what they've done is they've been able to detect it, and based on the increase in levels, they're estimating that by the end of this year we will have reached the peak. They're still saying it's way below anything. That would cause health problems. In fact, the levels that they're talking about are a thousand times less than what they consider to be safe in drinking water. And part of the reason why it's so low is just the dilution, how much yeah. it dilutes by the time it comes from Japan all the way over here. And so they're saying the background levels run about one, and I'm not familiar with this term, but they call it Beck coral. And so they're saying is that's the decay of one cesium-137 nucleus every second per cubic uh, meter of water. I don't know. Is that a new term? I mean, I, I I was always. I'm not familiar with that, but I know that if you start looking up rim and rads, that's been replaced by seaworks. Yeah, see, see, that's and that's what I remembered was rim and rads. Yeah, you know, my right. dad talking about. Yeah, they said the sample that they the, the most recent samples were collecting was 100 miles west of Eureka, uh, and I think this is California. It contained cesium-134 and was recorded at two Beck corals per cubic meter of water, more than a thousand times less than the U.S. EPA's agency, the Environmental Protection Agency's maximum level for drinking water. I think one of the articles I read the other day, just in general stuff, was the flow path time was 2.2 years from there to here, yeah. using the cesium as a as a monitor of how long it took it to go mm-hmm. place to place. Yeah, and that and that's part of it is that you know, it, so it's a two year half life. So every two years, it's becoming half as active. So it still can be recordable for more than two years. It's just that the levels are decreasing fairly rapidly for the the one thirty four. Radiation is an interesting item. There was a article I was looking at the other day. Also, I happened to have the twelve. They visited the twelve sites and the, on the planet that had the highest radiation levels, and. Uh, Basically, a couple of the places were obviously Chernobyl, mm-hmm. which was just an abortion from the start. And you oh, would yeah. have expected that to be so. And the other places, the collection of where they had radiation gear that got contaminated during that initial episode, which is quite high. 
they also did this area in Japan, and it's quite a, quite a bit higher than you would have anticipated that they're still allowing people to live there, which yeah. sort of surprised me. They're, and a lot of people wouldn't, even if they said it's safe, they won't let them go back because. Right. In Chernobyl, there's a lot of places now that they go back and the background is decreasing sufficient that people could come back. And they do have squatters now coming back into those areas. Yeah, it's interesting. And it also depends on the activity you're doing. Well, you go to Hiroshima. Yeah. And you look at that now and it's like, uh, duh. Yeah. It's all built up except for that one little memorial area. Yeah. Well, obviously that didn't stay there forever and ever. Yeah, yeah, true. But again, it depends on your activity. If you are willing to, you know, if it's going to be a parking lot and you pave over it, in many cases, that's a perfect use for it. You know, you may not want to be doing, you know, a, a farming of a fruit tree where the roots go down and draw up, you know, molecules from down in the soil. That might not be a good use for that that soil after. Uh, I don't know. Five pound apples sound pretty good. You know. <laughs> yeah, and I've always wanted an eye in the back of my head. Uh, Great Lakes uh, water levels are becoming a topic. You know, we we run into that kind of like California, where they either don't have enough rain or they have too much. Uh, we we run the same thing here in the Great Lakes, where we were everybody was complaining about the lake levels being too low, and then they get up to where they're, you know, they've they've historically been, and now everybody's wringing their hands talking about erosion. Uh, they've been the lake level has been rising over the last two years, and that's uh, ending a trend of a decade of uh, water levels being lower than a- historic averages. The nice thing about this is it it's creating like if you know people at the boat slips. I had friends who had big boats who they couldn't even get them out of the river now, and they don't have problems anymore. Um, and then commercial ships that was a huge economic burden. Uh, one for I can't remember how many million dollars per load it, they were getting less uh, per foot that was down. But now they're able to, to fully load many of the vessels that have been loaded for almost a decade. The monitoring shows uh, 15 years of record low. Water levels at Superior, Michigan, Huron are coming to an end. This is according to Gronwood in a conference this month. Uh, the, Drew Gronwood is a, is a NOAA hydrologist at the Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory. says that the, lo- the rise in the lake water levels can be attributed to record rainfall and runoff in the Great Lakes Basin, uh, along with an almost complete ice cover during the winter, which inhibited evaporation. And that was last year. Which it seems kind of hard that you can have 10 years of below average and just one cover would reverse it. So the surge started in January 2013, and Lake Superior, Michigan, have been equal or surpassed any water level gain on record for any other 23-month period. Uh, Keith, uh, oh my goodness, look at this name. Kompaltowitsk, the chief uh, watershed hydrologist of the Corps of Engineers in Detroit District, says the lake water rise is unprecedented since they began taking measurements in 1918. The lake levels are monitored by 87 stations, 53 in the United States, 34 in Canada. According to these monitors, Lake Huron and Michigan are 3.2 feet higher than their low point and several inches above their seasonal average. Lake Superior is up 2.3 feet from its January 2013 low point, and Lake Erie is up 13 inches over its low point. Don't you think that's all academic? Because 10,000 years ago, we were this, and this was an ice basin. Mm-hmm. All right, Meaning there wasn't any, it was ice. Right. This has gone, we're talking a 100-year period, and we're concerned with it when the evolutionary aspects of the Earth in 10,000 years, we have been a tropical sea for eons, mm-hmm. then we're an ice age, and now we're talking fluctuations of the lake. Look at the Indian settlements and some of the rings they're finding that are under 60 foot of water now. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 100 foot of water. 
we have been way down and we're going to go way back up. It's got nothing to do with how much water you're sucking out of it or I'm sucking out of it. Yeah. Well, what I wonder is why is this, Yeah, is this just they're making a, a big deal about it to make a big deal or is there some other agenda going on here? It's I mean, do money. They want? It's money. Yeah. Well, so are they, are they trying to tell us that the water levels are high so that we do a behavior so that we say, sure, take all our water. We got plenty of it. Well, I, I take exception to where they're saying about Lake Huron has increased because it has not. They were talking about trying to make a breakwater or a dam. Where you remember up there at the Blue River Bridge yeah. where it goes to Saint Lake or Saint Clair. Mm-hmm. When they dredged that out, you go to Duncan Bay, go back to where we used to dive. How many feet of water have we lost there? Yeah, I, I don't have any historical reference for there, so I have to take your word for it. Yeah, well, just in thirty years, that has gone down tremendously. Duncan Bay is a shadow of what it used to be. So I have not noticed that high water at all in that section of Lake Huron anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and we've we've covered stories in the past which say that the the profile of the lake is changing because of the glacier that was on it has has left and slowly the crust is is rising. So that could also explain some of the changes. But they well, I, I I do agree that we are really sucking the moisture out and we're with a lot of our wells yeah. Look around Michigan, how many of our lakes, the smaller lakes are now that used to be lakes are now ponds and they're they're going away because the water table is going so deep. And part of it is we don't have septics or we you know, in the old days you used to put the water back in the ground. Now you take it out and you put it through processing and you try to kick it back to the lake. Well and that's that's a problem with municipalities throughout the country is we've had a hundred years, you know, since the late eighteen hundreds, our as we've urbanized our goal is to take the water that we don't want and get it as quick away from where you're at and then run it into bodies of water, lakes, streams, rivers, oceans. And then now as we've decided that we want to be more concerned with water quality, we're wondering why we have all these contamination problems and because the nature on its own wanted to put them in the trees and into swamps and you want the water to go as slowly as possible to the lakes and then your lakes will be clear. Yeah, I, I really believe the uh, fracking process they're using now. I mean, it's great for the gas prices, but the fracking, if you look at the statistics on the wells they use and how long it takes for them to leak and the material, the fluid they're pumping down there is polluting the aquifers. There is no freaking doubt about it. Look for the major states that have tons and tons of fracking there and take a look at their water quality. It's going to heck in a handbasket. So yeah. I, I am not for that process unless they somehow came up with double or triple insulated walls or something. So when they break, you've still got a barrier to the aquifers. Yeah, and I, and I don't think they do. I mean, you're just putting what you're putting a casing, excuse me, a casing in the ground. Yeah. And if your aquifer is at 200 feet and you're pulling oil and gases down at you know 600, 800 feet, someday that those are going to mix. Oh, they do. They look up the statistics for the frequency of the breaks over a ten-year period. Mm-hmm. It ain't pretty. Yeah. Well, do you, you remember when they had the they wanted to do the deep well injection for waste processing? Yeah. We'll just dig a well and we'll just pump all sorts of crap in the ground, and it, that's a, it, it. That goes away. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that thing go through. Well, again, it's not going to affect me, but it will affect my kids' kids if they had any, yeah. or your kids' kids for certain. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Say, how could we have been so stupid? Yeah, yeah, and, we, and we've got other countries who are already living in the middle of it, and we're just setting ourselves up for it. Well, again, people say it's, we, we consume too much. 
you really got to back up and step back. Wait a minute, what do you mean we consume too much? I don't consume any more than I always did. What it is is there are 8 billion people doing that instead of 4. There was um, an interesting article I was reading that talked about the optimum population for self-sustaining Earth is 600 million to 2 billion max, where whatever you do, the Earth will continue to heal itself. Yeah. And if you did, in fact, have that, one is how do you go and reach that? <laughs> and that's where you have a lot of conspiracy items in here. One was, I, I know this is away from diving, but it, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're looking at what's going to be the next big killer of, of populations like we had to play a bazillion years ago. Yeah. They said if they manufacture the virus and deliberately let it out, it seems that humans have a natural meaning. If you had a, if you had 100 humans and you let this virus out, you will kill 90% of the people. But 10% have an, an immunity, a natural immunity to many of the items. So they said if we made one that went through the world, we could reduce it to that sustainable level very quickly, meaning over a few few years. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was hypothesized to deliberately do that so we could heal the earth. Wow. Okay. Not not sure that that would be my preferred method of, of control. We, we call that the the virus lottery. Well, let me tell you, it, 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 and these people are serious, and the government people, um, I'll have to find that article or articles and uh, just let you glimmer at it because it, it's quite entertaining. Yeah. I want to say, uh, was it Dan Brown? That was one of the plots of one of the, one of the books he had was the same thing, a, uh, a, a group that had had a virus that they were going to release. Yeah, there's a couple of them. Satan bugs a real good one, too. Yeah, so the, yeah, there's, a, there's a few of them. Yeah, so it's possible. Yeah. Doesn't have a lot to do with the water levels, but hey, this shows you we generally do something to screw it up. Nature's not doing it. Yeah. And it's population, not individuals per se. It's just we have so many people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Seattle, uh, going back to water quality, they just uh, completed a study and it was a uh, billion dollars a year for like 30 years to address their water problems to get in compliance is what they were estimating. And they had budgeted like $100 million a year. And, and that really isn't much uh, in the paper here. They were talking about several of the local communities that had their fire stations removed because uh, oh. they had a thousand gallon gas tank. Uh -huh. And when they removed it, it was dry, but the ground was contaminated. It was contaminated by the neighbors whose gasoline tank did overflow. It doesn't take a lot of gasoline to really pollute the no. ground or water. No, a, a teaspoon of oil can contaminate a huge amount. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, the the processes, and we can go on. We could almost do an episode just on on this. But uh, to jump back into the news, uh, another article is uh, travelers are going to be able to walk under underwater to catch their flight in Toronto. Not quite scuba related, but uh, the Billy Bishop Airport uh, has added an underwater walkway. And what they can't see is, like you said, if they saw the picture of what we're talking about while we're talking about it, mm -hmm. it makes a lot more sense to you. Yeah, there's uh, the the airport is essentially on an island. And it's a 90-second ferry ride is the, is the way you get to the airport. Uh, and, they, and the ferry runs every 15 minutes. So most of the time in that 15 minutes is loading and unloading. And it creates this big congestion as people are rushing to get onto the ferry before it goes out. And what, they're, what they've done is kind of about twice the distance that the ferry covers. They've got a new entrance to an underwater uh, walkway that they put in. And when they say walkway, it, you're really not walking. You're getting on these these sidewalks and it it gets you around. But what they're saying is that the 800-foot uh, pedestrian tunnel uh, cuts down on the surginess 
of everybody trying to get on a ferry to get to the airport. So it's about a six-minute transit time as opposed to the 90 seconds. But the, but if you just miss it, then you have you know, 16, 17 minutes. So uh, what, what's interesting is, you know, we, we think a lot of these ideas are unique. Uh, back in the 1930s, they came up with a project and even started constructing it. And so as they were doing this construction, they ran into the uh, unexpected steel structures down there that they had to cut through to put in the, the new tunnel. So it's kind of neat. Yeah, the pictures are, are decent and uh, makes more sense when you take a look at it. So eventually they'll be able to see it at the same time we're talking about it. Yeah, yeah. And maybe someday I'll actually get the show notes done. I won't count on it. At this point, it's going to take me so long to get those those going. Now, this I thought was really unique. It, it, it's, you sometimes wonder, is this just a scientist trying to convince you of something? But they're saying the blue hole in Belize. Oh, crud. What did I do now? Did I just delete it? Oh, here we go. That the blue hole in Belize may solve the Mayan mystery of uh, where they went. That's the massive sinkhole located in the Caribbean Sea off the coast of Belize, made popular in, what, 1971 when Jacques Cousteau visited it. Yeah. With the Calypso, if you remember those days when you used to see the movies. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I, I remember watching that show. That was a required viewing in our household. Uh, Jacques Cousteau visited it in 71, declared it the world's best, one of the world's best scuba diving sites. So what they're doing is the researchers are analyzing sediment found in the blue hole, looking specifically for variations in color, grain size, and layer thickness. They also examined samples from the Belize Central Shelf Lagoon, a body of water attached to the mainland, noting differences in sample ratios of titanium to aluminum, which held which helped provide estimates for rainfall levels. So what they're doing is they're correlating that when rain falls, you have a little bit less uh, more erosion. So these uh, minerals are going to change in density from a wet year to a dry year. The analysis revealed low levels of precipitation, a drop in frequency of tropical cyclones from 800 to 980 in the peninsula, which suggested the region was hit by a major drought at the time, researchers told the Huffington Post in an email. Researchers also suggested another major drought into 1000 to 1100 AD when the Mayan city of Chichen Itza believed to have fallen. What I think is really interesting about that whole part Mm-hmm. You notice the carbon footprint wasn't mentioned at all back in those days. Yeah. All their cooking fires are just contributing to the CO2. So when they died out from whatever, that's why it recovered, I suppose. Yeah. Well, one thing that they have, I have seen some research done on it. And part of it was just the, because they, they, they had what, some cities with over a million people in them. Yeah, they, they said yeah. that the uh, civilization at its peak around 250 AD reached a population of about 200 million. Well, look at the Incas. I mean, what happened to those guys? Yeah. In the blink of an eye, so to speak. Yeah. Well, a, lo- a lot of it is, you know, it, uh, it's, sustainability is it tends to be overused, but if you're using a resource and it is not replenishing at the rate that you are using it, you have to have a backup plan for what you're going to do when that resource is no longer there. And they were running into that with, with trees. You know, you use trees as a building material and you, you know, cut everything out and, you know, they were using it for fires and heating and all sorts of items. Now, one thing that the, they were really good at, they had very advanced farming techniques. They had high-density farming. They did a lot of raised gardens and waterbeds and things like that. So some, some interesting research there. I think it's interesting when they're doing these cave explorations underwater. Oh, the, yeah, where they're going down the... That, yeah, when you're a couple hundred feet down to get in a cave, it's full of water, and then you realize they used to live down there, so the water level was substantially lower. Oh, yeah. Yeah, water levels have been changing, well, since the Ice Age. 
I know. That's what I think is, is really interesting. You know, we're trying to resolve the water levels up and down and blame it on something. It's going to happen because it's been happening for thousands of years. Yeah. You know, yeah. The dike around the country, I suppose. Well, and the important things about humans is, is the ability to adapt. So why are we so adamant on changing something as opposed to adapting? Or cutting down the population. Yeah. Now, down in Australia, they got a, a different way to see the sharks. And Port, uh, Port Lincoln Company now lets you see sh- uh, sharks without getting wet. And I notice that in every photo, they're holding a drink with a label visible. So I'm guessing that there's a little embedded marketing going on. The company Adventure Bay Charters has launched a new boat, the Shark Warrior. It features an underwater glass and aluminum viewing platform that can hold up to six guests. The platform attached to the rear of the vessel uh, allows thrill seekers to be able to see a 360 view. It said it was the first platform that was the first in the world specifically designated for shark viewing. It said we, we had kids as young as eights in the cage, and now we have their moms and dads can go down in the sub and watch as well. The cage sits in front of the sub so you can watch the action out in front. So they, what they, they're saying, use your kid as bait, throw the eight-year-old in the tank, and then you watch from inside. <laughs> and then here they show mom and dad and they got a dinner. That's a little bit of product placement there. The cage sits in front of the sub so you can watch the action in front of you, but you also have to view from the side windows. We think this will really open up a new market for people who always wanted to see great whites but haven't actually wanted to get into the cage. So the platform also raised the chances of everyone on board seeing great whites. As a shark raider could cater for six divers in the cage and six viewers of the platform at the same time. It's unique using music than uh, rather than burly to attract massive using creatures rather than burly. Is burly code for something? Is burly chum what they mean? I don't know. Adventure Bay Charters is unique in using music rather than burly to attract massive creatures. In the past, operators have used... ACDC to get the shark's attention, but sometimes the the taste of their guests may be changing. It seems like they really like Hilltop Hood's new album this year. <laughs> what is, is this a record company promotion? I don't know, iTunes maybe. But, but anything with low frequencies will work. The music just adds to the fun. So let, let, let what's Hilltop Hood's? No, Mac, you got to listen to Hilltop Hood's, don't you? Say that again? <laughs> I, said, I said, you got to listen to Hilltop Hood's. Isn't that one of your... I wouldn't have a clue what that is. Let me see. Here. I think I know ACDC though. Yeah, ACDC. I I I recognize that the Hilltop Hoods. I'm gonna find it. So unfortunately, let's see here. They make some good music for uh, skydiving videos for the action shots. The, the Hilltop Hoods? No, ACDC. Oh. <laughs> Who did Highway to Hell? Uh, Highway to Hell was that Black Sabbath or uh, uh, maybe? All my heavy metal friends are screaming right now. Uh, either Black Sabbath or Ozzy Osbourne, was it? <laughs> uh, Let's see. The, 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 I'm going to play a little clip here. You're probably not going to hear it, Mac. Man, what you going to do now? What we going to do right here is go back. How far are you going back? Way back. As we go a little something like this. Oh, you're right. I don't hear anything. <laughs> oh, I'm hearing it. You change the sound of fresh air. Exactly. Oh yeah, now you you just have to you have to listen to the recording because it it came through. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm, I'm uh, I guess they're saying that it's the low frequencies that the sharks uh, like more than anything else. They said they just use music to make it fun. Let's see what do we got next here. Shipwreck took the 
Dawson Great Lakes Museum, Belle Isle. Oh, yeah. So if you're in the, and hopefully you, you get this in time, because it's just coming up here in a few days. Belle Isle, which is there off Detroit. They have a diver's, uh, the talk, the Dawson Great Lakes Museum on Belle Isle during the January weekend event series. January 10th and 11th to combine local history and underwater exploration in two free events. You can't beat free. Local historian and dive master Tony Grammer will start the weekend at 2 p.m. Saturday, January 10th, with a talk on Tragedy Strikes in Seven Minutes, the Lost of Steamer Fred McBreer. The Fred McBreer was built in West Bay City, Michigan in 1881. The 161-foot steamer sank in Lake Michigan on the night of October 3rd, 1819, just west of the old Mackinac Point. The ship took just seven minutes to go down. According to a release, Grammer's presentation will take viewers through the remains of the shipwreck with the help of a 30-minute video. Uh, Grammer is currently at the Marine, the Dawson Marine Maritime Group Board and dive master of the Dawson Great Lake Museum. He's been diving since 1977. So he, he's a new diver then. Uh, <laughs> he, he also won awards for photos taken during dives. And then after Grammer, Ross, was it Hay Barrel, will present uh, Isle Royal Lake Superior Wreck Divers Paradise. Isle Royal, a group of 450 islands in Lake Superior, became a national park in 1940. Formed by a series of volcanic eruptions, the islands are often narrow, jagged, and rocky, forming reefs that have sunk numerous ships around the island. Now, he, he's got a little bit more experience. He's been diving since 1971 to deliver a presentation on the shipwrecks of the America, the Chester A. Condon, uh, the Camplos, and the Emperor. Yeah, Kamloops is an interesting wreck. I believe that's the one that still had the engineer in the engine room. Yeah. It actually a, took him out after years because uh, you could see videos of him. And it was really, you know, when the body sort of deteriorates, turns like white jelly in uh -huh. the back. And these guys are filming this. This is back on air. So they really didn't see it until I got back out and looked at the video and said, damn, there's a guy over there in the corner. Uh, and they stopped showing that particular part of the, the video or the film because of sensitivities yeah. of a body, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Eventually, they did take the, the person out. They did remove the body years and years ago. But Kamloops is an interesting wreck. Yeah, that, that's the one where I think... Uh uh our, our friend rich Sinowick, he, he goes there if not every year uh two yeah, out of three years it's quite deep yes. that's a tech dive heavy tech dive yeah yeah and he's got some good video of it as well so rich Sinowick, uh he's, you can listen to his podcast divers sink and he's also got divers incorporated over in ann arbor and monroe and uh the white star quarry so there's a plug for rich so you got there if you're over in the uh, bell isle area you'll want to stop in and get those free presentations and then this is one I want to talk about before uh, we were you know, uh, to kind of catch up. Uh, apologize for missing last week. Uh, just with the holidays, that was uh, I think it was Christmas Day. We just couldn't get everything all coordinated. But uh, the talk of finding the Griffin again. You know, when I first heard this again, I'm like, okay, would would somebody find a tent stake? But uh, this one at least has. I mean, they found something. I don't necessarily know if it's the Griffin, but I would believe this has got a better shot of being the Griffin than the other items that the people were claiming was the Griffin. For those who don't know, the Griffin was that, uh, considered to be the first large ship or larger ship, the, what we call a European styled ship on the Great Lakes. So it was a 17th century vessel. It was prized as the first European ship ever to sink at the depths of Lake Michigan after leaving Green Bay, Wisconsin during its maiden voyage. And that, if that's a picture, if that's a picture of the Griffin, how did that it even float? <laughs> I mean, is that it's just got a, that, It's got that French style in the back of that galleon, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's got kind of a little high, uh, 
I back there. You could yep. see you could yeah, see I something like that. Outspread, a little exaggerated there on the Griffin. Yeah, I think that's front. more of a stylized drawing of it than an actual uh, different uh, 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 actual drawing. But they're claiming they found it while searching for a gold ship in 2011. We were literally in the water for a couple hours, and we got a hit on the sonar. When I went down there, I I turned around, and I was literally four feet from the shipwreck, and I'd never seen it. I never saw it on my way down, so the turn quip trip was quite fast. Why would that make the trip fast? He's just shocked? Did he scare himself? I w- we were literally in the water for a couple hours when we got a hit in the sonar, which means they were mowing the lawn looking for their other hits. When I was down there, I turned around and saw I was literally four feet from the shipwreck, and I never saw it on my way down, so my return trip was quite fast. Huh. Not quite sure what he's, he's getting at there. It really wasn't until we got back to the computer and viewed the photos, I realized we could be have been photographing the griffin. Among several pictures of a sword, old cannons, and carvings of mystical animals, the, griff, the griffin, Distra Monroe, be, uh, brought back an ale's evidence from the, the Griffin shipwreck found the paper. The pair said the magnet attached to scuba gear caught the nail while they were measuring the ship. So they're, they're claiming they didn't pull it off the ship. It just was naturally drawn to the magnet they had on their the gear. The cannon, if there is a cannon, will be the key. The Griffin, as I remember, I keep believing they had six. Four were like steel, two were brass. And by cannon, it's not like what you think of. It's more repelling the borders or like um, two feet or so. Yeah, they're more like a big, a big, like muzzle-loaded shotgun type thing. Yeah, yeah, only very yeah, right. And it was for repelling borders or repelling Indians. So bringing up one of the cannon would make the difference because all the other sightings or claims have never referenced cannon. Well, this one they said that they they had the cannon, and I want to say when I viewed. The video, you could see the cannon, but they looked more traditional than what you're saying. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they're not releasing the location because they're still searching for the gold shipwreck. They're also claiming it's to protect it from being disturbed while historians examine and collate the history preserved aboard. Well, it's interesting since France now owns it, since we gave possession to them. And yeah. it's their boat, so I'm not quite sure how they can legally now do that if it is, in fact, a griffin. <clears throat> Yeah. yeah that's, but then again, uh, if you're smart, you don't tell anybody, you take the can and you bring it up. Whoops, look what I found. Yeah. Not that I would do that, of course. Oh, of course not. Nor do I encourage anybody else to do such. No, I, I think they can have the Griffin, but they just have to pay. We've been having it in uh, in uh, wet storage for 400 years. What's that? Uh, you know, it, it, it amateurizes over time. They owe us, what, $40 billion for storage of the <laughs> of the Griffin? They can write a check to me. I'll make sure it gets to the right spots. It would be interesting if it is the Griffin. But, again, you look at it and say, okay, really, how much is it worth to, to preserve or bring that up other oh, yeah. than items like some of the cannon and the swords that would be relatively easier to uh, preserve? <clears throat> The, the value of it is to say what the story was. You know, based on the location, they may be able to tell how far it went. Like, you know, six hours after launching it sank, then, you know, you, it, it kind of tells a little bit different story. And then you could see what, what was on it or at least identify some of the items that were on it. Yeah. Maybe they didn't even build the ship. Maybe it was all a lie in the first place. They just were lazy and didn't want to, you know, maybe yeah, there was no they difference. They don't say how deep it is either. I'd be very curious about that. I I have a feeling based on the light, we're looking about 150 feet, 150 to 200 feet. It's kind of hard to tell. 
but just that's kind of what you know looking at the picture that would be my my guess based on light penetration well just on the light light penetration you know when you do the shots it seems like it's 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 definitely deeper than 100 feet yeah okay now i gotta close one of these windows these damn sites they've got auto playing video okay well that does it for scuba news we do have some others we have a video of the week we have a deep sea fish that is about five feet underwater five feet underwater goodness deep sea fish that lives five miles underwater it's a little different than five feet i would say Oh, yeah. And they've got two videos that show this this fish swimming. Uh, it doesn't have a scientific name. They're still doing some research before they name it. But it was uh, a video that recorded. They had uh, sensors that went down to pull some samples. This is in the Marinara Trench. And as they the camera was watching the tubes pull the samples, this fish just kind of went swimming over it. It's a translucent fish, and you can see a white object in the video. And the the object in this translucent fish is actually its skull. And it just kind of leisurely swims across it. And they say it's the deepest living fish ever discovered. And I think a lot of that they're playing around is what's the definition of a fish? Because they're, they're they don't call a crustacean a fish, which we, we know that those have been down that deep. Now, isn't a shark a fish? Because then they have sharks this deep? I'm looking at one of those that looks like a freaking scorpion. <laughs> How would you like one of those suckers that attach themselves to your face? Yeah. You're seeing the one where they had the bait that they put in the water? Oh, God, that last one and this is, is butt ugly. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's it's one of these, you can't make a horror movie any more horrifying than some of these creatures you see on the bottom of the, of the ocean. Yeah. Well, that, that takes... This is a floating head. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I jumped to the video. You're talking about the uh, the underwater creatures, the eight? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So here, let me give those a chat room as well. Yeah, here's our, these are eight objects, uh, kind of like a year in review of the ugliest things underwater. Let me get on the same page that you're at. Yeah, so these are like little gifts. Yeah, that one thing he's got, who, who knows what that is. Uh, yeah, it looks like the fish is cut in half and his nose is gone, but it almost looks like that's a protrudence that attracts something, then he opens his mouth and eats them. Yeah, said so colony of thousands of little critters form a stunning underworldly siphon drifting along the bottom of the sea. I'm not sure what that. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to say, that, yeah, yeah, I don't, I'm not even sure what that is. And they had the and snailfish. Yeah, oh, that's really weird. And that's the one that I've got the video of that I was referring to. So that's in the, the show notes as the video. That Dumbo octopus is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I've seen a few videos of those. Those guys are, yeah. are kind of neat. Yeah, I, I bet you we're going to see versions of this in the next uh, Cameron movie. Did you say virgins or versions? Uh, versions. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just curious. Uh, yeah. I can't make any judgments about these creatures. You know, you don't know what their lifestyles like. Uh, that, the the like parasite doesn't that look like a scorpion? A translucent scorpion? It does. Just kind of. Would you want to put your hand out and play with that guy? No, not really. Not the, uh, what is he? Three feet long or something? I don't know. Do they say? Oh, that's one under it. Dumbo octopus. Yeah, he's he's a big guy. These things are just plain creepy. Let's see the that one kind of turning itself inside out. That worm thing. Yeah, kind of flip flopping around. Yeah. The ghost shark is weird. Yeah, big giant eyes. Oh, man. Yeah, cool, milky white eyes. And the black sea devil. That's the one that looks like a head. All it's got is eyeballs, big big mouth, and that's it. Where his ears would be, he's got his fins. Yeah, that's... Uh, Isn't that creepy? Yeah, you're not going to see too many kids' toys based on him. No, you're going to be dreaming about that tonight, by the way. <laughs> I'm hoping not. It's scarred into your brain. Yeah, well, maybe last night, you know, with enough drinks, he could have, but... And let's see. Oh, and then the, the, the other article I had, which is some photos. Uh, China, if you remember, they had brought up that, that shipwreck that they had discovered in the 80s. 
and they moved it inside what looked like a big giant warehouse or museum, and they've been processing it for the last couple of years. They've now got all the silt off the artifacts, so they're starting to document it. Let's see if we can get this. The Nahi One. You know, it, it screams Chinese propaganda. It's from their news service. Ellen, welcome. Yeah. After a year of hard work, most of the silt-covering artifacts inside the ship has been cleaned up. They're estimating between 60,000 and 80,000 rest... Uh, God, what was that? Was, well, I was going to say wrestles. Relics inside the ship, including gold artifacts, brass and iron wares, and porcelain items. Hello, welcome to this edition of Pulpit Press. This is Hunting in Beijing. Thank you for joining us today. And we start today's program now with some good news in Archaeology. Is that you, Mac? Uh, it must have been because I tried to get back out and I just lost everything. <laughs> it was on the artifacts. The guy was talking about the Chinese Museum. Yeah, you're right there at the uh, top. Yeah, and all of a sudden, boom, here comes the ball. Yeah, it's, it's, all these websites now, they, they insist. It's like advertisers. If you're an advertiser and you're buying video ads, you're getting screwed because nobody listened to it. They're going to tell you they listened to it and charge you. No, I, I get that. I, as soon as I can find out it's where it's coming from, I dump it. Yeah, well, I, I've I've dumped all my web browser stuff before because I, I just hate that. There's nothing I more do. irritating. It's like if I want a video, I'll go to YouTube. I don't need to listen to your crap unless I click the play button. Yeah. The the ship was discovered in 1987. Oh, I thought it was only, yeah, yeah, 87. And they're hoping it, it spreads uh, information or light on the Marine Silk Road in which China silk porcelain and other artifacts were transported to Southwest Asia, the Middle East, and all the way to Africa and Europe. The wreckage was not lifted from the floor until December 2007. It was placed in a pool-type container called the Crystal Palace. It became part of the Maritime Silk Road Museum, built on a site in uh, Yangjiang City, Gundong Province. The museum visitors can witness the salvage process and see thousands of artifacts already extracted from the ship made of glass, uh, gold porcelain, by song artisans meant to be sold overseas. The, the vessel wasn't really that long when you think about it. 21.8 meters long, 13 large cabins for good storage. So this is like the beginning of the uh, Chinese cargo ships then. Mm-hmm. You know, no containers. They just packed the hull and sent it out. And then we've got shipwrecks. You can, shipwrecks. you can actually visit. And when they say actually visit, they mean if you're not a diver. I'm just curious if they're historical, how can they even, you know, I don't see any preservation techniques being done here. On the Chinese one? No, on the shipwrecks you're going to be looking at. Oh, yeah, there's no. Oh, I mean, they're historical, they just told me that. Yeah, Incredible they, historical shipwrecks. The first one's the Santa Maria, <laughs> but not like you think. On September 1st, 1968, the Santa Maria around, uh, ran around. And they did, what was Santa Maria? She's running around. Ran aground while passing the Cape Verde Islands on the way to Brazil and Argentina. It carried goods from the Spanish government and thanks to countries who led, who aided it during an economic downturn. Using a local tugboat tied to save the ship, unsuccess tried to, oh my goodness, I think I, I need another drink. That will take care of it. Not before the precious cargo was carefully removed, it was abandoned. So they pulled everything out. And I thought the ship was what's important, not the cargo. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. but it's kind of interesting how, how it's there. Now, if you were a diver, wouldn't that be a cool spot to go do a dive? Well, if you go to the bottom picture under it, you can walk out to it. There ain't no diving involved. That probably just depends on how the... Uh, High tide or not. Yeah. Because you can walk under it at low tide. And then they have the Evangelia. Constructed the same, the same shipyard that did the Titanic in 1942. Ran aground in 1968 during a night of dense fog near Con- Contenesti. I have no idea where that is. And then uh, 
And so what these are is these are shipwrecks that pretty much are all grounded, but they've just been sitting there. That's bizarre, just the thought of these just sitting there and nobody does anything with them. And I don't know why they are considered historical. I don't know if I call these historical. Well, they said incredible I, historical shipwrecks. Yeah, that's just the author. I, I mean, to be historic, what is something to have, to have to do to be historical? Unique, non-replicable. To me, if I can replicate it when I have the plans on shore, I have details of cargo manifest, the history of the boat. I'm not sure why the body of it out into the lake is as important as the data. Yeah, yeah. I think to me it's just something cool to see. I don't know that. Uh, they definitely don't need to be preserved, and nobody's doing anything to preserve them. The SS America is the only interesting one, number five. The SS America, built in 1940, was sold off in 1993 to be retrofitted for new service, but en route encountered a terrible storm that required the crew to abandon ship. Uh, it's in the Canary Islands. Within two days of pounding surf, the Atlantic broke the ship in two. The stern section collapsed and sank in 1996. The bow remained intact in November 2005. The port side of the bow section collapsed and the hull began to break up. In 2007, the entire ship collapsed and fallen into the sea. Today, there's little left that can be seen at low tide. So it means all the pictures we're seeing are, are false, and it's not even there anymore. Yeah, that, those have those are just pictures throughout time. Which also means if you'd have stayed with the boat, stayed in the forward section, <laughs> you could have been there been for a while. Yeah, interesting. What were... if anybody was killed getting off that boat? Well, I don't think it was. Uh, it was. I think it was being hauled. I don't think it was. Be, it was. Well, being... tried the crew to abandon ship. Yeah, uh, but th- then I, the the other one is the the Olympia. Interesting seeing that there in that little, I don't know, is that just a, is that a river, creek? Oh, yeah. You mean where the boats are in the harbor site? No, oh, the, 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 the uh. Yeah, the, it looks like an inlet. Yeah. Well, somebody obviously got it there and shuttled it. Oh, was driven near shore uh, on an island in Greece by pirates in 1979. Oh, so it was stolen and grounded. So they, they ran it someplace and then probably escaped. The odd part is, you see the lifeboat in the back? That was a useful item still. Why they didn't take that is is interesting. Oh, why they didn't steal it? Well, yeah, why not use it? I'm looking at, you see the aft end of it? Uh-huh. Still on the davits. Yeah. That would have been sellable. Yeah, I don't know why. Interesting. Uh-huh. The pictures of the SS America, when you go down further, it has a history shot up sideways in the water during a storm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So how about this World Discoverer, uh, built in 1974 with a double hull, was sunk by a previously uncharted rock off the... Solomon Islands, where it now sits ashore. See, what is it that, yeah. Um, so you own a boat, and then it goes and does all this stuff. It's like, oh, well, you just walk away from it? Uh, yeah. Huh. I don't think the EPA was around then, or not overseas anyway. Yeah, yeah. So you have to go through and look at all these pictures. These are, these are, they're cool just to see. And any one of those, if it was sunk out in our lake, we'd love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we'd have people on it all the time. It'd be worth a million dollars. Now, that French barge one is nice. That would be cool to dive on. Oh, yeah, with the platform? Oh, yes. And the crane? Yeah, because you could hit the crane coming down, put your tagline off of it. If you didn't want to go deep, you could just hang loose. You got different items at different levels. That'd be all right. It's the biggest floating crane in Africa. Yeah, the, the tough thing about if we sank something like that is getting the title to it. Because I think as soon as somebody found out, you'd almost have to not tell them what you were doing with it. Because once they found out, they would they probably wouldn't let you buy it because they'd be afraid of liability. What if somebody got hurt on it? They'd sue us. And then we have some potentially cool scuba gear. Scientists are creating an underwater biometric robot. I'm not sure why they have to throw biometric in there. Researchers at the National University of Singapore are creating biometric robot robots for underwater use. They've looked at nature to build the robot, which mimics natural behaviors. 
which I think half the robots we've heard of in the last two years has said that exact same thing. It says it doesn't use a ballast system, which is typical underwater robots for diving and sinking functions. By removing the ballast system, a new robotic sea turtles are smaller and lighter, which means they have greater energy efficiency and carry larger payloads. The robot turtle can perform very deep dives and makes rapid vertical sink, which means it can enter water tunnels or pipes to detect structural weakness and other maintenance issues. Okay, send, send us one. <laughs> we'll, we'll take a look at it. We probably wouldn't have the uh, electronic gear sufficient to maintain it and no, no. interpolate the data. Let's say they can still send us one. We'll figure out something. I want the next one. The next one? So this is the, I thought you might like this one. The Quad HTO. HTO? What the heck? Quad H- H2O designs a new drone for capturing aerial and underwater video. Oh, oh my goodness, these ads are driving me nuts. Um, so the idea is that it's a, it's a, they had original uh, vehicle or uh, drone was a quadcopter designed to shoot uh, video in the air as well as underwater. The quadcopter is called the XH2O, designed with an epoxy fiber carbon fiber body. That's a little redundant. That is waterproof and can float. The Thailand-based company, original creation, this is according to Gizmad, as a result, users can fly the drone out to anywhere in calm water, land it, record anything they see, take off to another spot. So the idea is that you have the camera mounted underneath, it lands, and it's recording the video in the water. wonder what that weighs. It looks pretty heavy, though, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, so that it's a, you, the drone uses dual 650 milliamp lithium polymer batteries to allow it to stay in flight for 25 minutes on a single charge. They can You can pre-order it for $4,000 plus shipping. Can't use it in the States, though. They said it's not in the States? Well, they're still making this. Uh, FAA is trying to make a rule mm-hmm. uh, that those who use those for commercial operations must have a pilot's license to operate them. Gee, it just so happens we know a pilot. So, hello. <laughs> so, you, so you become worth more all the time, Mac. No, I'm not totally worthless. I have a few yeah. guys. Yeah, you've got a few skills. They're pretty rough, but. But, yeah, the, so they, this new one has uh, six uh, props on it, and they said that one of the advantages is that if you lose one of the motors, it can still lift itself out of the water. I think it's I think it's a neat idea. Yeah, Ken's uh, has played one of these a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of his makes them for Uncle Sam. They have a special feature, the one he makes, that they use to go over to an IED, mm-hmm. and it's got a mechanism with it that they can pre-explode the detonator on the IED if they have access to it uh-huh. using that. Yeah, I, I've I've uh, heard of that that being done. It's it's quite interesting. Uh, it's, they use uh, an arrangement of three lasers that that helps them come into a proximity that when they converge, that's the spot that the hammer mechanism will impact that they can use to burst or break the igniter system, which then will make the explosive device inert. Well, that sounds like a good idea, though. I'd much rather lose a drone than a person. Yep. That's the possibility there, yeah. Okay, well, that does it for all that in the news, the videos, the cool scuba gear. Now, let's talk about some diving. Did you get some diving in? Yes, we did. Uh, probably the most recent one is our New Year's dive, which we've been doing for, say, I've done 37 or so in a row. Larry's got 36 down. He did have a break in his. Something about somebody got married, so they couldn't dive that day. Oh, you can't get dive. You could, yeah, okay. I'll give him a pass. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we had 10 people go out. We had uh, six divers, two uh, snorkelers, and two surface support. Um, you know, our, our young little uh, 
gentleman who's nine. He went out with us, wetsuiting. I saw um, that. He's going to be a hail and hearty diver, and he's pretty. He's getting a. He's getting to be a real good grubber. Cool. Yep, already, and that's not even with scuba. That's just snorkeling. And I mean, he's found a Hutchie bottle, and a lot of guys in the club have never even found one. No, I'm he's jealous. Last year. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of says you got to go out and get in the water. Yep, and uh, Jake got in the water. Cool. We kept hearing about it. We heard this high-pitched scream like a girl, and nobody claims <laughs> it was them, but uh, I have my suspects. <laughs> <laughs> but every freaking dive we have in different locations, there's always some kind of uh, lessons learned. So what were they here? Well, one, I have to go back uh, probably tomorrow and see if I can relocate my uh, my lighted buoy flag mechanism. It wasn't that lighted? Well, no, it was lit, but uh, when I was doing another task that was required, uh, the line came off, and it just floated out to sea, and it was impacted in the ice the last time I looked at it. And I'm swimming out to get the damn thing, and it's like, oh, wow, I have no inflate on my suit. Oh, wow, my uh, PC inflator hose is froze. So I said, screw this, and I was said, I'll abandon it, and I went back. It's one of those rare occasions where I use common sense and said, let's not push it. Yeah. So I went back to shore and said, screw that. That's a smart thing smart. to do. Yeah, yeah. I was getting tired. And, and if I um, you know, had a free flow, then I'd have really been out. Yeah, it's a, so no I, sense pushing it. Especially, I mean, oh. the, you know, cold, dark, night, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I can, I can get me a new float. So I may go back out and see if I can find it in the ice. And I got to think about taking my kayak. We had a little open water, but I think that's going away. I think the high today was, what, uh, 28? Yeah. That. I know it's not supposed to be but 18, but I think it went up higher, at least around here. All of next week, we're supposed to have below 20 the whole week. So we may be getting some good ice for good ice dive in the end of uh, January. Yeah, I think we're on the trend. I I would have bet, if you had asked me in October, I'd have said we'd have had four inches by now. Yeah. But uh, we don't. I mean, we had an inch of ice where we started. Uh, That area we we dove in Barron was clear because the wind was up. So I think we had about three degrees wind chill factor. I know one of the episodes I got out, I was going to put my tank on the back of a dock. You know how they take them up and lay them on the shore? Yeah. So it's about, you know, butt high. Mm-hmm. So I backed up, lowered my tank on it, and then the, my suit, which is wet, went and touched the aluminum, which was freezing. And immediately my suit was like a, it was like a magnet. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, oh, shoot, now I couldn't move because I'm <laughs> docking. My whole body is. So so, so I can picture this. You have the tank laying there. Yeah, at least I didn't lick it either. <laughs> well, now, see, I don't, if I was there, I'd have recommended that you use your tongue to warm the tank up so that it would yeah. detach from the suit. Well, I couldn't turn around backwards because <laughs> I'm stuck to the freaking tank. So if I'd have been by myself, I'd still be there. Now, how, how did they... Pour water, warm water on it? or yeah, I still had my my gallon jug of water. I had my gloves in, and I poured that and was able to uh, free my body. That is one of the most helpful things to have when we're doing those ice dives. We need to get a – I need to remember that because I, I, I've been bad now that I'm a dry suit diver. I haven't been taking my warm water with me. Well, I take mine every place because if I have a free flow, I can turn the valve off, stick it in there, and uh, yeah. rec- you know, remedy that, that issue. So I had that one. Let's see. I won't mention anybody's names, but we got out there, and sometimes you'd have pretty firm pack, mm-hmm. and then you could walk one step, and you'd be in really loose pack. Yeah. And if you got huge flippers on, and you step in that loose pack, you're up to your knees in loose pack, and with your fin on, you can't move your legs. Yeah. 
because <laughs> the suction and everybody's using the spring steels on their heels. Mm-hmm. And then he had proceeded to have a free flow. So he couldn't bend down to get it because then if his, and if he fell, he's going to drown. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yes. I mean, your feet, you can't move. So I'm going down trying to pry his feet out of the bottom. And that took a little while to get one, one leg done. And then we finally got it bent. And I could take the fin off, hand that to somebody. Because we're only in like three foot of water. Yeah. But, but you can drown in an inch. Oh, yeah. So went back down. Finally could dig out the other foot because he was not going anywhere. I mean, he, you're not going anywhere. And he couldn't get rid of the fin underwater. Yeah. So we got that one out. And then he said, now, while you're there, see if you can find my mask and snorkel. Oh. <laughs> he's fighting with it. And, you know, he put it, instead of bringing it down over his chin, it kicked off. So we had him get the heck out of the water. Then I went back down and mucked around and found mm. that. So that was that was interesting. Then, of course, like I said, the, the float getting away. Mm-hmm. I just hope somebody didn't look at it and think there's a diver still out there because I had pylons on it with Christmas lights and then my flag in the middle. You know how I always like to put my, my lit buoys yeah. out there. That way, at least you know where I'm at. The water was so clear, by the way, that when I still was towing it, the light from the the light uh, artificial trees I had on it uh-huh. lit up. I could see the freaking bottom. Wow. And Bob went out with his rebreather, and you'd have like dips in the end, you know, you had to be very flat and then go down to a dip and come back up. Mm-hmm. And every dip, you'd find rather large fish just immobile with their fins on the bottom, waiting for you to touch them. Of yeah. course, then they'd spook and, and go about 10 feet away. Yeah. But he saw several of those just, you know how it is when it gets cold, they just sort of, yeah, they not just, hibernate, but they yeah, just, they just part. Move. Yeah. yeah. So he had fun chasing fish. Let's see what else we had. Yeah. When you're wearing your dry suit and you're left coupling ring for your dry glove comes off. Yeah. You just have to take that arm and keep it way out of the water really quick. So it looks like you're doing a dance. And then you don't stay in the water very long when you lose your dry glove. No. But um, Jake did get in the water, put his face in there, so he, it counts as an ice dive for New Year's form. And, yeah. And the little one did. Now, now when you you said there's about an inch of ice. Did you have to break break through it? Uh, yeah, you, you, you'd fall on your ass getting from the shore through that inch of ice to get to the open water. And that's why I took my big buoy, because if I, I'm going under the ice, I can't pull that buoy down, and that way I'm not going to get trapped on the right. splash, come up and go thump. That's not pleasant. done well, that before. Well, especially if the water was that clear, but the ice is pretty clear, too. Yeah, it was nice. So we little items like that, tweakies. Now, is there any value in doing a nice dive on that lake there? Uh, we have done them before there. We've got some 8-millimeter uh, video from Barron Lake where the ice is so clear that the divers are under waving at you and you're looking at them and we're looking at you. Absolutely gorgeous. We've got video of that same weekend where we had a little bit of, or we had a lot of wind and we had just a little water on the ice. You could stand still. The wind would then push you across the ice. It was that slick. Wow. So we've had some good dives out there at Barron. Nothing to compare though with the dive we did there at uh, Lake 16 and the line dive. That was freaking awesome. That was a great dive. Yeah. Anyway, we had 10 go out. We had 10 come back. So it's a good dive. Yeah. Now, uh, any other dives? Not since that. Um, I cut off my feet on my uh, dry suit. Uh-huh. And I had those uh, neoprene booties that went to a point, And you'd wear them, and I'd get cramps in the toes, and my feet would just freeze <laughs> after an hour. So I cut those off and put new boots on. Oh, okay. So those you're... boots are awesome. I put hard toes on. 
So my cure time on that was seven days, so I couldn't dive it for seven days, so I didn't. Okay. So I missed a week. Yeah, well, uh, I talked to Jim Kleeman, and him and his family went down to the Florida Keys over Christmas. I saw some pictures. And he did get some dives in, and they did a dive on a reef down there, went in with a charter. And if I can get him to come on, I tried to get him on tonight, but he he was busy. But if, if I can get him to come on, he we'll have him talk about it. Uh, but I, I did learn a few things is, uh, one of them is never have a camera. Somebody who brings a camera is your dive buddy. <laughs> Only if you want to watch them. Well, he said, he said it was so irritating because, uh, he, he, he and Josh both went diving and they had a dive master and they said, Hey, do you mind, you know, butting up with this other guy? So Jim had this, this guy who had a camera. And supposedly he had been diving since the seventies, but uh, Jim was saying his buoyancy was really rough. You know, he's rubbing against the coral and hitting things and moving around. And anybody with a camera just seems to go from one pretty fish to the next pretty fish, and they don't care where their dive buddy is. And he said uh, it was there was it was really surgy. They went out and it was three to five foot waves. And he said that when you were underwater, it was surging, kind of like you were on the boat. So. As I said, it was the first time he got seasick underwater. Really? Yeah, but the, but they 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 love the fish. He said it was just beautiful. He says it spoils you. You know, you're down there and you're on the bottom and seventy feet of water, and you can see the boat floating up above you like it's like you could almost be able to reach out and touch it. All the pretty fish. So they had a good time. They did they did uh, one day of dives. I think they did two or three. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so, so it sounds like they had a good time. So we're talking about going going back there. Yeah, I was going to do the second dive up in Holland today, but uh, my gear was so freaking frozen mm-hmm. that this morning I had to go out and use a hairdryer to yeah. release it from the back of the car. <laughs> <laughs> from the back of the car? Oh, yeah, it was still iced in the back because when I put it in the back, you know how the BC hardens? Yeah. I couldn't even get the regulators off. No. I had some ice on them. It was that freaking cold out there when we got out. So I used a hairdryer to thaw everything out so I could get it out of the car. And then I had to thaw the yoke so I could get the regulator off. And that's when I said, son of a gun, you know how you always get water in your BC? Yeah. Uh, mine wasn't water. It was ice. So I had to take it in and thaw out the BC. And I keep, I've been draining it now for two hours. So it's kind of like a like a slushy? Oh, yeah. No, not even slushy. You're talking solid ice in there. Again, eight degrees, it does that. Three degrees, it does that. Yeah. So since I didn't have equipment that was functional, I did not dive. No. So they had the first kayak trip of the season today. That oh, was wow. down Wajack River. Cool. Yeah. Was cool. Was that a pun? Cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Yeah, and I understand there was also a dive today over at uh, Gull Lake, wasn't there? There was not a fast dive, but oh. from that token, my understanding that SAS is now starting Wednesday night dives in January. See, that makes sense. Well, enough people are going to be diving anyway. Yeah. But you've got to have at least two people. Well, actually, you need more than two if you're going to do ice diving. Well, I think something like that, you have to, it, it helps if you're a dive shop that if you have a dive master-ish person mm-hmm. who likes to dive and will do the dives. Because a lot of these shops, even though they're up here, mm-hmm. they get spoiled and they don't want to dive in the cold water. Right. And again, if you got a good gear, you got good gear and, you know, we, we take the toy box with the uh, heaters oh, and yeah. stuff. If you can dry, and again, when you get out and you're dry, totally, totally, totally different. I mean, because this is really the first year that I go dry as opposed to wet in the winter. Yeah. It, and it, it'll make a believer of you. Oh, yeah. It's, it, 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 it cuts down on the hassle factor. You know, okay. wetsuit, it's, what I, when I was wetsuit ice diving, 
I considered myself, I was, it wasn't if I was getting hypothermia, it's what level I was comfortable with and could function. Cause I'm sure it would have been, it would have been good study for somebody. Uh, you know, if you could, ha- you know, do some internal measurements to figure out what my core temperature was, because I'm sure I was getting good at being able to tolerate a five degree to ten degree decline in you, core body you've temperature. Got a little more thermal protection than us, because you and Jim dive in uh, less than pristine dive gear. <laughs> yes, and I could not even attempt to dive in some of the water you dive in without keeping the water off my head. Yeah, I just on my neck. I don't know how the heck you do that. Well, you, I got my technique, and maybe we'll have to do another episode here uh, in the coming weeks on just how to be warm. We'll we'll do a wetsuit, and then we'll have to talk about dry suit. But one of my theories is keep as warm as possible up into the dive. And when you're wetsuit diving, you really don't care if you're sweating a little bit, yeah, because you're going to get wet anyway. I mean, you, the moisture is what makes you cool. But if you can get your core temperature up, you know, you, you drive into the site have the heater blasting, make sure you got coats and hats and gloves, and you just get your mm-hmm. core temperature up as high as you can, almost a point where you're almost too hot. And my theory on that is to get cold, I've got to go from hot to normal, then down to cold. So I've, it's just like a like a battery. You, you've, you've got a little bit extra charge, and it's going to take a while for that cold to get to you. Yeah. Well, it is important to stay warm before you even start. But yeah. by the time you get your dry suit on, you are starting to almost sweat. Generally, we, when we get out, we are sometimes you're damp, and mm-hmm. it's from the sweat, not from a leak. Yeah. I mean, I'm normally going to have a little leak on my left arm where exhaust valve is because I burp it, and I think I get a little bit reverse flow sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you may have a round neck just a hair if it burped on you, you know, as you're going down, and, and it relieves a little gas. But uh, anything else on your chest is usually either your purge valve or it's sweat. And again, if you layer it, you're good. And talking about that, some of the talk uh, at the party was discussing uh, heating vest. If you look up the UK divers who are diving the North Sea, those yeah. guys are, are obviously serious because when you got a five-hour deco, they have heated vests and actually heated suits. And you think that's a little extreme, but when you're doing a cave dive or oh, you're yeah. doing a deep dive and you've got several hours of deco, you do not want to freeze to death on deco line. No, no, that would be for a bad day. It was interesting talking about that and the different levels because Bob had been looking at some, which was coincidence because I had been looking at uh, some UK stuff along that same lines. But uh, again, depending on how you're diving, your durations, you there's equipment out there that can make it more than tolerable and it makes it fun. And if it's fun, you'll dive no matter what the weather is. Yeah. Well, I, I think we need to end it for this week because we're, we're we're hitting probably about 90 minutes. Oh, edited. Is anybody still listening? <laughs> yeah. I, the, the, we, we still have a few in the chat room, which I want to thank uh, St. Louis Sam and if I can get there. For their indulgence and humor yeah. yeah. So let's go. I think I've got a joke ready. This one's a, this one's a fishing joke, I guess. So are you ready? Oh, I'm ever ready. Okay. Let's pull it up here. We were actually plotting what we're going to do the rest of the year. Yeah. So it's going to be flying, diving, jumping, and all that. I got invited to a, oh, as a side note, uh-huh. as, uh, for crew. Uh, you know what crew is? No. That's canopy relative work. That's where you go up and you exit and you open as soon as you get out of the airplane at twelve or 13,000. Uh-huh. And then you do formations with uh, your canopy. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I got invited to do that. And there's a base camp I want to go to. And uh, 
Iowa and then go out to to the canyons. I'd, I'd like to get some base jumping in this year. I don't know. Playing that by ear, though. Cool. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Well, I can get you guys in the club to come on out and we'll get, you know, quality or quantity discounts. Yeah, I, 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 that is something I, it's, I don't know if it's this year. It might be this year, but it's, it's my bucket list is uh, do at least this one skydive. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid I might wet myself on the way down, but no. I if, don't think so. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I've done, I've done plenty of crazy things and so I, I, uh, well, we'll have to give that a try and maybe I can talk Jim into it as well. And he, he was ready for it. <laughs> Before he became this big businessman, he was all ready to go. So I'll have to see. So here we go. It's raining. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's raining hard and a big puddle is forming in front of an Irish pub. An odd-looking old man is standing next to the puddle holding a stick with a string on the end while jiggling it up and down in the water. Curious gentleman asks what he's doing. He says, fishing, replies the, the old man. Poor old fool thinks the gentleman. But what the hell? May as well be for a good laugh. So he invites him in for the drink from the pub. Sipping their first whiskey, the gentleman asks the obvious question, knowing who will uh, relish the answer afterwards he, to tell his friends. He says, and how many have you caught? You're my eighth today, he said. Fishing for suckers, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Sucker fishing. Yeah, that's good. Until next time, go out and get wet. And stay safe. Completed. I'm glad I can edit. <laughs> yeah. You ever been to Oshkosh?